Welcome to MuggleCast episode 417. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And we're joined by one of our Slug Club patrons this week. Hello, Natalie, coming to us from England today. Hello, hello. How you doing? Doing okay. Good. Thanks for having me on. What are you up to over in England? Because when you initially filled out the Slug Club co-host form, you were in Canada. So Indeed. What are you doing over there? I'm doing a master's degree in arts administration and cultural policy. Wow. Sounds smart. At what universities are you doing Goldsmiths that? in London. <gasps> in London? Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been to Cursed Child over there? You know, I haven't. I don't feel compelled. Um, <gasps> but maybe one day, if the time is right, I'll go. Yeah. Well, you at least should go to Mina Lima across the street. Have you done that yet? I have. I've oh. been a few times. Oh. They've all changed to uh, Fantastic Beast things in there, but mm-hmm. still good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's nice to have you on and thank you for your support. Let's get your fandom ID. Give us your favorite book, movie, Hogwarts House, Ilvermorny House, Patronus, and the one question you'd love to ask J.K. Rowling. Okay. Philosopher's Stone, Deathly Hallows Part 1, Slytherin, Thunderbird, Wild Boar. And uh, the question I would ask JKR other than, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Would be, uh, why did she feel that film was the best medium to tell the Fantastic Beast story? This is just because I would have much rather liked another book series if she was going to go into so much detail and add so much more to the canon. Mm-hmm. Well, I can answer that one for you. <laughs> Mr. Warner Brothers came to J.K. Rowling's door one day. Excuse me, J.K. Rowling, we need more movies. Can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they, they had the rights to do it, so they were going to do it with or without her on film. I don't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go so far as saying they would do it without her. I think they would need her blessing. But it just so happened that J.K. Rowling, as she has said, um, had this idea for a story there. That was like the one post-Potter story she wanted to explore, right? So, um, or I shouldn't say post-Potter, but outside of the world of Harry's story. Mm -hmm. As for the question of if J.K. Rowling is okay or not, (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I have a feeling she's just fine. Maybe her therapist said, get off Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) just get off twitter (laughs) so we are going to discuss half-blood prince chapter 26 today it's a major chapter the cave oh my god i can't believe we finally reached this moment and we also have a couple news items to discuss today Mm -hmm. but first i just wanted to share this tweet from one of our listeners who also plays quizage i think i recognize his name Mm. boldy's moldy nosy (laughs) and he sent in exclusive footage of Draco Malfoy whooping in that last chapter. Oh, this this was a question we had because like what is, you know, when you read it, you're like, okay, I can kind of guess what that sounds like, but I'm not 100% sure. Right. And you and I were guessing it sounded like whoop, whoop. Yeah, whoop. Well, also, let's remember the fact that Trelawney was uh, deep into her sherry, so maybe she didn't hear anything at all. <laughs> Wow, maybe it's all inside Trelawney's head. <laughs> well, this is what Voldy's moldy nosy thinks it sounded like. I think that's accurate. That sounds like Draco. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. No, this is great. I mean, the listener feedback we get week to week answering the hard hitting questions uh, is why we do this show. So absolutely. Yeah. Couple of news items now. So Universal, they're so smart with their marketing. They just drop these little tidbits like every week, and then we're bringing up the ride every week. <laughs> of course, <laughs> their new attraction, <gasps> Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. I have to literally put it together in my head before I say it every time. They have unveiled their animatronic Hagrid, and he looks fantastic. Um, it looks to me like he's in the same scene, so I think it's within Hagrid's hut, as the blast ended screwed. And the reason I say that is Hagrid looks a, a little burnt, doesn't he? Mm. He's wearing some heavy gloves. He looks more dis- disheveled than usual. He's wearing glasses. I'm just saying, if you go back to our discussion from a couple weeks ago, there could be another explanation as to why he looks a little burnt. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to remind us what that explanation is? Oh, no. I was just recalling our our conversation around the 420 holiday. Oh, my God. Perhaps Hagrid uses his hut for medicinal purposes. I see. I see. So here's some good news. Robbie Coltrane did record dialogue for the ride. Oh, good. We were a little worried if that was going to happen or not. He signed on the dotted line. I'm sure Universal paid him handsomely. And we'll get to hear him reprise his role as Hagrid. They, they, they're Universal is bragging about how lifelike this animatronic looks. <laughs> um, it's a seven foot tall Hagrid. It has twenty four different body movements, and they were created in part using a digital scan of Robbie Coltrane's mouth, which, at his age, I'm you know I'm sure it wasn't pleasant to get all up in there and do that digital scan. But it just um, sounds very invasive. Yeah, it does. <laughs> You want to do what? (laughs) We want to put a camera in your mouth. (laughs) This is maybe it's uh, maybe it's one of those looking forward into the future things. So eventually Mm. they can just completely digitize the inside of his mouth. (laughs) Yeah, they probably did like a whole scan of Robbie Coltrane. So if you know, when the day comes that he unfortunately passes away and they want to do more Harry Potter movies, they will be able to digitally recreate Hagrid. <laughs> yeah, they can 3D print vocal cords and make him sound just like the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he'll be at the uh, official opening of this ride? I would guess so. He was at the opening of, of Diagon Alley. Yeah, I mean, uh, health permitting. I know, unfortunately, he's had some issues recently uh, in recovery, but presuming uh, he can make the trip. Uh, it's only in a month's time. So it, we'll f- it is in a month's time. Universal started sending out invites for the opening. Guess who's going? Who? Me. Oh, it's me. Oh, oh, well, congr- <laughs> I thought you were going to send Natalie. Oh, man, Natalie, I was waiting for, for it. Waiting for it. <laughs> Have you been to the theme parks? No, I actually haven't. <gasps> okay. Well, look, you, I, I need to, um, assist you in becoming a bigger fan here. First, you gotta <laughs> see Cursed Child. Okay. Then come back stateside and go to Orlando. True. Man, who am I? <laughs> Lost my identity. <laughs> She's only been listening to us for 13 years, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I'm just playing. So another news item. And before the show started, I asked Micah if he understood what's happening. Because I don't understand that what's happening. So we'll just touch on it. Pottermore has announced that they are launching... Excuse me. Pottermore and Warner Brothers have announced they are launching a new site at wizardingworld.com and 
if I understand this correctly, Pottermore and Warner Brothers have finally realized that they need a closer relationship because right now, if Pottermore wants to run movie content on their website, they have to go and get clearance from Warner Brothers. Right. They can't just take the images like, you know, every fan site does on the planet. <laughs> they get permission. And apparently this has uh, been a bit of a hassle for some reason. So now they are, like I said, they're they're forming a new joint venture called Wizarding World Digital. And notably, some of the Pottermore content will be leaving that site and moving to WizardingWorld.com, like the Patronus quiz, the Sorting Hats, and the other tests that they have available. Huh. Is that all to understand, Micah? What am I missing here? Yeah, I, I think that probably covers it. I, from time to time, will get emails from Pottermore and not really understand what they mean. But this is just another example of that. It it just sounds like they're merging. They're they're you know really taking everything under that Wizarding World umbrella, as we've seen happen with with other properties over the course of the last couple of years. It's really becoming more about the Wizarding World as opposed to just about Potter. Mm-hmm. So the BuzzFeedy content, Pottermore says, we'll be packing up our box of quizzes, fun features, and articles and moving them to wizardingworld.com. So the BuzzFeedy type content will be moving to wizardingworld.com. And then what remains on Pottermore? Um, Is it just the ebook sales? I don't understand. Yeah, just the dust that they leave behind <laughs> the when dust. they move the furniture out. I, I, you know, I don't understand. I'm reading this uh, statement here saying this venture will widen and deepen what we have been able to do on Pottermore so far. Um, they're talking about the rights issue, like you said. Uh, Potter, Pottermore hitherto only had act, limited access to the film content produced by Warner Brothers. Here's the thing. I liked Pottermore because it was separate from Warner Brothers. The original illustrations when the site first launched that were so beautiful and glorious and had nothing to do with, you know, the film adaptations, which were made 18, 19 years ago, you really had a chance to move forward and look in different directions and kind of feel more creative than just the limited scope relatively of what those uh, eight films, you know, 16 hours were able to do. So I right. don't support this. I, I think Pottermore should have more comfortably existed on its own. But let's be real. I think past the first couple years, whoever was running Pottermore, Pottermore itself, the vision for it, I think faltered and they never really had a clear vision or purpose and eventually became all about listicles. So yeah. maybe this means that you know, do you think breaking news will still come out through Pottermore or will it come out through the film channels of wizardingworld.com? I, I think wizardingworld.com. But also remember, Pottermore was all about the books when it first launched. Mm -hmm. And they were so hellbent on not on on being about the books that every original illustration, which is Eric, you pointed out, they, they had tons of beautiful illustrations. They didn't even show the faces of the characters right. because they didn't want the website to ruin your imagination. Yep. Now, it's nothing but movie pictures. Well, mm -hmm. that's not true, but it's like 50-50 movie pictures and illustrations. So yep. you're right. They, they just haven't had a direction on Pottermore for a while. And here comes another change. So we'll see what remains. I mean, in a perfect world, Pottermore is about to be relaunched and suddenly J.K. Rowling is going to be writing her own content for it again. That would be amazing. Yeah. I, I got the most ominous text from our friend Terrence, who broke this news uh, to me the other day. He said simply, 
Pottermore is going away. Dot, 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 dot. And I was like, what? J.K. Rowling's closing Pottermore? Like, does she hate us? Is she really, like, really upset? <laughs> but it turns out it's just some kind of corporate merger thing going on. So we're fine, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh. First, she leaves Twitter. Then she leaves Pottermore. What's next? Yeah. Now, we'll see. So this change is apparently taking place on or around May 15th. So we don't have to wait long to see what the heck they are doing. Yeah, tune in next week for this uh, for the, the latest the exciting <laughs> conclusion. <Yeah>. What <laughs> remains of Pottermore? It just redirects to MuggleNet.com. <laughs> you know what? We can't do this. You, you guys, you, MuggleNet, you take care of it, please. Awesome. Uh want to remind everybody about our Patreon, the signed album art cards. They arrived here in Chicago, and Micah, Eric, and I will be signing them together next next week, because Micah, you are coming into town soon. So if you want to get your own, join us at patreon.com slash mugglecast and pledge at the Dumbledore's Army level or above, and you'll be eligible to receive one if you remain a patron for at least three months. Uh, just keep in mind, you must join us by the end of July in order to receive one of these puppies. And by pledging, you will also receive instant access to lots of other benefits, including our recording studio and bonus MuggleCast. Also, just want to give a quick shout-out to our latest patrons, Tanya, Larkin, Becky, Megan, Stephanie, Tori, Mary, Valerie, Mariel, Luke, Esther, Jennifer, Haley, Billy, Sig, Rita, Sarah, Big Lanky, Janelle, Eve, Sam, and Amitha. Thank you all for supporting us. And existing patrons, please take a couple minutes to locate your address in Patreon system and make sure it's up to date because when we send you this album art, we want to make sure it reaches you. Yes. So, uh, again, patreon.com slash mugglecast. We would really appreciate your support. It's what keeps this show funded and going and going into the future as we <laughs> await Fantastic Beasts 3 and whatever else the Wizarding World franchise throws our way. Speaking of uh, mergers, Andrew, we had a merger of our own this week didn't we oh my gosh it was so exciting <laughs> it was so exciting so we launched this instagram recently but we didn't have instagram.com slash mugglecast we finally got in touch with the owner of that account and we have to give a shout out to amy she you guys know the the show catfish i feel like this is what kind of happened she went digging into the old posts of this mugglecast account <laughs> and found that the owner had tagged herself in one of the photos. This is something we did not notice because it was just kind of buried. And uh, her name, the owner of the account, is Amanda. So I went on to Amanda's Instagram account. And luckily, she replied. And she was happy to hand over the keys. So she just changed her MuggleCast account to definitely underscore not underscore MuggleCast. <laughs> so the MuggleCast <laughs> username freed up. And then I grabbed it. And we're good. So now we're at Instagram.com slash MuggleCast. I know Micah, Micah originally thought he was responsible because he was also <laughs> going to Instagram. He, he reached out to them directly using his contacts. Um, but sorry, buddy. Not only you. that, though, it was the same day. It was. That <laughs> I got confirmation that a colleague of mine had reached out to their contact in Instagram to get this all sorted out. And so naturally, I thought that I was responsible for what happened but clearly not so thanks we, to our aware fans who are paying attention to uh what's going on on social media we were closing in on it one way or the other if amanda yeah. didn't reply <laughs> probably exactly. would have been that way that we got it well now we just better be careful they don't switch us back in the other direction because they're gonna be like wait hold on a second they have this account <laughs> yeah, what are they so. talking about 
So follow us there, Instagram.com slash MuggleCast. You will get show clips, news, and inside looks at the recording of the show. Uh, before we get to chapter by chapter, we want to let you know that today's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Away. Inspired by true travel stories, Away asks thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them the most about their luggage. Then they designed a bag that solved a few old problems like sticky wheels and a few new ones too, like dead cell phones. Andrew, I know you're a huge proponent of Away, just like myself. I use it to travel all the time. I'm on the road quite frequently, and honestly, I can't say enough good things about these suitcases. Yeah, not only are they great looking, but I love that they have four wheels because they move so nicely through the airport. You don't have to drag the suitcase behind you, and the built-in USB battery is just fantastic because when you're on the road, you always need a charge. And the Away suitcase has got you. It's built right in, so you just plug right into the suitcase. Mm -hmm. I freaking love it. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I know my legs always thank me for using Away because I'm one of those people who used to have those old suitcases and I'd drag them behind me through the airport and constantly be hitting myself yep. in the back of the leg all the time. My and, back uh, thanks me. It's it's my back that <laughs> is in pain. <laughs> Well, MuggleCast listeners, they can choose from a variety of colors and four sizes. The interior features a patent-pending compression system, which is helpful for overpackers, four 360-degree spinner wheels, which we mentioned, a TSA-approved combination lock, and a removable and washable laundry bag, which is always helpful for those of us who are on the road a lot and traveling for a couple of days. All sizes of the carry-on are able to charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, and anything else that's powered by a USB cord. There's a lifetime warranty, a 100-day trial, and free shipping on any away order within the lower 48 states. And of course, all these carry-on sizes are compliant with all major U.S. airlines. MuggleCast listeners get $20 off a suitcase. All you have to do is visit awaytravel.com slash MuggleCast20 and use promo code MuggleCast20 during checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash MuggleCast20. Use promo code MuggleCast20 during checkout. Now let's discuss chapter 26 of Half-Blood Prince, The Cave. We're going to do our seven-word summary. And uh, Natalie, I put you in here twice at the last minute. <laughs> I hope you're prepared. This is pressure time. Yeah. And you have the last word, so. I'll try to make All it All the good. pressure. <laughs> I have the first word. Okay. <clears throat> Together. They. Enter. The. Mysterious. <laughs> boat. <laughs> Poor Natalie. I want to say two words. I'm trying to, trying to condense it. The last word was boat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ride. Okay, together yeah, they enter go. the mysterious boat ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait for the compilation we're going to do of all of our seven-word summaries. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Actually, Natalie came through there because once you set it up with that adjective, Eric, it was a little bit challenging. Yeah. Not going to lie. Yeah, you're right. I'll blame you, too. Yeah, you can blame me also. You blame all of us. <laughs> nice work, Natalie. But one person we're not going to blame, well, we might, depending on how this chapter discussion goes, uh, is Laura. <laughs> Laura, despite being absent this week, uh, was nice enough to put together this entire discussion. So hopefully I don't botch it. Yeah. I don't think you will. You're my favorite chapter by chapter leader. Same. Some of oh, Laura's thank you, Andrew. 
personal notes are in here, though, so we might mm-hmm. want to just read them verbatim, or we can steal them and take credit. Our listeners won't know. Or skip them altogether. No, we have to include them. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm going to take some of these as my own, and then listeners are going to be like, wow, Andrew's mm. as smart as Laura these days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this chapter opens immediately after Harry and Dumbledore apparate away from Hogsmeade, and we find them overlooking a crashing sea under an inky black star-strewn sky. And it, it all starts off very kind of calm and serene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Laura notes here that Dumbledore is pretty casual about everything that's happening. And he even kind of adopts that persona throughout the course of the chapter. There are moments where uh, his attitude may shift a little bit. But generally speaking, he's very much a casual person throughout this chapter. What do you all think? Well, for me, this really stuck out to me, Um, and it kind of started this pattern of awareness um, that I was really paying attention to the way Dumbledore was acting, but also in the way that J.K.R. uses these words that kind of contrast, not only with kind of like Harry's perception of Dumbledore in relation to like his age, his physical ability, or maybe how he's feeling like in that moment, but also in terms of like the intensity of the moment that's unfolding before us. Um, like, for example, he's like super casual in this mysterious cave. And then I think we point out later on in the chapter certain like actions that he does, which kind of are contrasting to the fact that we know that he's kind of like suffering um, from like his injured hand, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so... I was thinking, okay, JKR hasn't done this arbitrarily, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was wondering, is she using these moments to kind of develop an aspect of like skepticism um, within the reader in regards to Dumbledore because he's been withholding so much information and he kind of releases the information kind of throughout this chapter and this adventure in the cave. and is she setting us up for the future emotional push and pull that happens um, in the next chapter relating to some of the key characters in the series that don't necessarily fit within the dichotomies of like good and evil or friend versus enemy, like hmm. Dumbledore, Draco, and Snape. And so this was interesting and it kind of like formed this lens through which I read the rest of this chapter. Yeah. I don't know if anyone had any thoughts about that. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I also think what's interesting is Dumbledore being described at many points in this chapter as like a young man in an old old man's body. It's kind of also this chapter is his swan song. Um, we, we get him for only one more chapter with us uh, while he's alive. And J.K. Rowling kind of shows in this chapter just how skilled of a wizard he, he is. This chapter is kind of a, a real tribute to just the wizard the man the myth the legend um he's doing magic that harry has no idea like what it even is looks like or feels like or sounds like and ultimately when being devastatingly debilitated by this potion still manages to conjure um the the flames that that get them out Mm -hmm. so i i think too it's though it may be contradictory or make us skeptical um 
I also think that it's a real moving it's a it's a bold statement that JK Rowling is making. Like, yes, this man's like at the end of his life, but look what he can still do. And this was this is a guy that he's a bright light um still to the very end. Mm-hmm. I think like you say, Eric, um, we only have one more chapter after this with alive Dumbledore and he is at peace with what is about to happen mm-hmm. so i think that's why he's pretty casual he he's also been looking forward to this moment i think and now he's finally in it mm-hmm. so he's just he's just very present he's very prepared um and he has accepted his fate yeah and i think too it's 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 interesting to watch his mind work as well in this chapter because he doesn't have all the answers. Normally with Dumbledore, there's this expectation that he he knows everything mm. that's going on. Mm-hmm. But there are moments in this chapter, and we'll get to them, where that's clear that he has some good guesses and he has that line earlier on in the series about how his guesses are better than most. I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> no, he's he's vulnerable. In, in this chapter, which is also something I don't think we've seen much at all, you know, where, where it's actually right in front of us. We know that his hand's been injured, but outside of that, I don't know that we've ever seen a time in this series where we felt like Dumbledore has been in danger. Mm-hmm. No. Eric, you mentioned that uh, there's these times where it's referenced that he has the energy of a much younger man and and. That's very evident from early on in this chapter when he just kind of plunges into the water and he's doing this perfect breaststroke. He's Michael Phelps. You know, it's amazing to watch this man who's over a hundred years old just jump right into the ocean and swim beautifully right into the That's cave. That's a direct but quote, by the way. Perfect breaststroke. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just so funny to me. I have such a hard time picturing it. Who knew that Dumbledore was such a great swimmer? Is he swimming so well because he knows a horcrux is afoot? So he just gets himself together in these moments? Not to mention, they're in robes, too. Both of them. And Harry's, like, in his invisibility cloak, too. They're just swimming along. I mean, robes would probably weigh you down a little bit. Absolutely. They drag behind you. That cannot make it easy to swim or form a perfect breaststroke. Yeah. Props to Dumbledore. Absolutely. I wonder if Dumbledore wears goggles. Is he somebody who wears goggles when swimming? (laughs) Was there any note of that in this chapter? I don't think so. He can probably magic them on. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably a spell for that. But yeah, this was just hilarious to me. And Laura in her notes wrote, is this just the result of his eagerness to find the next Horcrux? I think it's definitely related. Mm. Maybe this is how Dumbledore stays in such good good shape. I mean, he's a... He's a skinny guy, right? Maybe he does a lot of swimming in the Black Lake in his spare time. Yeah. I mean, I think it is kind of going back to what Natalie was saying, too. Like, it's he's he's in his element um, here. And and we all can kind of agree, like, everything has been built, everything all year. But also, all Dumbledore has really been building up. It's not clear when you're reading it, but I think in the end, Dumbledore has really geared the back half of his life to destroying Voldemort and to 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 knowing I mean this was clear in the memory chapters that we got that he has painstakingly kind of created the narrative that he's telling Harry about and it's ended with I mean this is this is the end of the line he now has all the de- detail that he needed to know to 
to get here. And so I think it's like the fulfillment of his life's purpose that is what's driving him and making him seem younger than normal. Mm -hmm. I think there's a bit of adrenaline though as well, right? We always hear about situations where people are able to do extraordinary things. And despite Dumbledore being an extraordinary wizard, jumping into the ocean and doing a perfect breaststroke is not something that we would normally expect him to be able to do. It's a very muggle thing. And yet he's able to do it with the slightest of ease. I think there's this driving force within him internally that he knows that he's got to do this. And it's essential that he do this before they get back to Hogwarts and Snape inevitably is going to have to kill him. He picked mm-hmm. a good Horcrux too, because Harry never would have been able to get this without him. Um, no. You know, like if Dumbledore was like, I know where Nagini the snake is hiding tonight. <laughs> Let's go get her. Uh, it would have been a way different, you know, outcome. And and mm-hmm. thinking about it, you know, in retrospect, this is besides the ring, which Dumbledore already took care of. Thank God. This is the most well-protected Horcrux that that exists. Mm-hmm. We don't know why, but you know, you could guess though. It it's Slytherin's locket. Yeah. So does that hold a higher level of value to him? Yeah. Didn't his mother also have it for a period of time? Yeah, that's true. Are you saying Voldemort has a motherly connection on Mother's Day? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh he absolutely has a special connection to this locket i mean mm-hmm. you know but in regards to dumbledore's performance or you know not performance but his ability to do this this perfect breaststroke <laughs> maybe dumbledore right now is in his element you know he's an extraordinarily powerful wizard and he's entering this you know um really, you know, heavy with magic place and about to embark on this quite harrowing journey. Um, maybe this is just like his his time to show what he can do. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is like a game to him. Like this is this is this is fun for him. Yeah. Maybe he gets energy from the surrounding energy. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like that could be a thing. Magical adrenaline. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that magic in the air Mm -hmm. that he feels. True, yeah. And I wanted to just go off of one thing Eric said earlier in terms of finding this Horcrux because Dumbledore would have had to have done a lot of detective work just to get to this place to begin with. And we get a little bit of backstory about Tom Riddle and, and him bringing the kids from the orphanage down here oh did they take that bus tour that you were on a couple weeks ago that brought you out here (laughs) micah because you've been to this cave right i i well i've been to where they filmed half-blood prince i i can't speak as to whether or not that's the actual cave in question oh i see i was gonna mention that sorry to disappoint yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) all all this talk about perfect breaststroke are, are we disappointed that they did not make michael gambin do this in the films they probably tried to make him do it and he said no he seems like a grumpy dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly just surprised that they did. I mean, I, I think that Michael Gambon at, th- at this point in these films is as close to book Dumbledore as that actor can be. Um, I'm really, really grateful for it. So, yeah, they were always going to be different characters, different portrayals and all that. They would never have gotten Richard Harris to do it. So <laughs> it's just got to be grateful with what we have. Mm. So inside of the cave, it's noted that 
Dumbledore believes this to be the place because it's, quote, known magic. And that's something that I don't necessarily know that we've seen in this series before. Just the fact that somebody like Dumbledore is able to sense magic just Mm -hmm. by being present. And I don't know if that's like a sixth sense or it's just something that all witches and wizards are able to do as they grow older. So Ghost Laura said that she likens this to visiting a hollowed or a historic area. And she remembers feeling this way when visiting Gettysburg. Oh, have you guys been to Gettysburg at all? No. Did you say Gettysburg or Gettysburg? No, Gettysburg. Okay. Uh, Gettysburg is where we go on Sundays at brunch. Um, <laughs> no, Gettysburg is a is a field in Pennsylvania, and it's one of the most uh, one of the most bloodiest battles in U.S. military history was fought at Gettysburg. And there's so many reasons for why they say it's one of the most haunted mm. areas uh, in in the world that you can visit, and it could have to do with the loss of life that was so snuffed out when it was still so young. It could have to do with just open blood and things like that, which remind me of this chapter, which is why I love that Laura put this out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it is very much you do. I've been there and it was only several hours. It was only a couple hours from where I grew up and I've been there and you do feel something like, you know, you can't can't but help but feel a little tingly in certain ways. It's very interesting connection, but yeah, yeah. I, I feel like in Dumbledore's situation and in, in a situation like visiting Gettysburg or another example, uh, the 9-11 memorial in New York City. I mean, they have those beautiful memorials where the two towers once stood. The you just feel what was once there. You, you, feel, you feel the spirits that were once there. Yeah. You feel the memories. You feel the history. I think that is what is happening in the Wizarding World in this scene, but with a little tint of actual magic call causing some sort of feeling it it's like in star wars and obviously this is not a real world example but it's in it, like in star wars when when they 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 feel the force you have to breathe <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to just feel it within you it's it's like that what's going on it's quite beautiful yeah and 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 part of this chapter's purpose is to I guess in a way, really educate Harry. If Harry came up against, and Dumbledore doesn't know that he won't, come up against very similar circumstances and protections around Horcruxes, Harry ends up getting lucky and doesn't have to. But things like this uh, lesson he says to Harry, magic always leaves traces. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's super important. And it's written into the logic of J.K. Rowling's world. Um, So it's it's kind of cool that we're, we're getting this style of magic that we just have never seen before and w- with Dumbledore we we will not see the like of him again I think and Harry also senses it too though it's noted that he feels something as well which I found interesting because is it mm. just because Dumbledore makes this comment to him that all of a sudden he feels something as well or is it because all wizards have that ability. The book says uh, it could also be because he's cold, though. <laughs> it says the goose I think flesh it could... yeah, is because he could be cold. I think it could be part placebo effect. I think it could also be that you do feel a little magic in the air. I'd be interested to see if I'd be interested to have a scene like after this where Harry enters the castle and he tries to like meditate 
within Hogwarts and see if he can feel the magic. Because obviously there's tons of magic there too. Yeah. Uh, is he feeling it there, but he just doesn't notice because he's feeling it all the time? Same thing goes for all the other students. Yeah, that's a great point. I, maybe because this place is so isolated and it's out within the larger world that the ability to sense magic is that much greater. Yeah. There's also a great point that you brought up later that I really want to talk about, but we'll we'll okay. hold it until then. Mm-hmm. Um, Dumbledore spends a great deal of time running his hand over the wall, pausing to go back over certain surfaces. And this really begs the question, how can magic be felt? Is it just that Dumbledore is so accomplished at this point that he's moving his hand over the wall and and he can figure out just by touch what he needs to do? Yeah, I definitely don't think any wizard could do this. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a certain caliber of wizard. Like Similarly with feeling the magic, I think somebody like Dumbledore who has just been around magic for, as you say, 100 years or more knows what it looks and what it feels like, what it smells like maybe. Um, yeah, but but the feeling thing is a good question, because, again, we're dealing with objects that maybe weren't always those objects that have been transformed or transfigured or made to be bent to the will. Like, I think there's probably also as often as Dumbledore can feel magic, he can also feel nature. I think like he can feel what's normal. If he were standing in a normal cave that had no magic, he'd also be able to tell that mostly by its absence of magic. So I think maybe he's just really discerning the difference between which rocks are there formed naturally and which rocks are secret entrances. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wonder if it offers the feeling of like a magnet does. Yeah. Like does, is his hand kind of gravitate towards areas where he senses it? What do you think, Natalie? What do you, what do you make of this feeling out the magic? Yeah, I mean... I agree with what everyone has said and that he's so, so powerful as we've talked about throughout this. Um, But perhaps this is something that only Dumbledore could do. I mean, I I can't think of anyone else who could um, just because of his age and his experience in terms of what it feels like. Like maybe it's just this intrinsic feeling like, you know, when people say, like, you, when you know, you know, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a, a magnetic pull or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But he seems to, in this chapter, really take his time to, like, touch and caress the rocks, occasionally pausing. Um, and I don't really know where I'm going with this. It's just magical. That's all I can say. <laughs> it is. It's nice to watch the master at work. Yeah. Laura in her notes wonders if Fantastic Beasts could potentially explore this at some point. I uh, Maybe. I just don't think it's much of a priority for J.K. Rowling to explain this. I don't think anything needs to be said. Yeah. Some areas in the world of magic just don't need to be explained, and I think this is one of them. Mm-hmm. They do have that back-in-time dust, though, that Newt uses in Crimes of Grindelwald. To see yeah, the past. which I don't understand. Yeah, pretty weird. Mm-hmm. I just f- find it interesting, though, that this whole chapter, for the most part, is about a different level of magic. It's almost next level 
and I, and I think it paints a really good picture for the type of wizard that Voldemort is because it, it this chapter is just as much about him as it is about Dumbledore and Dumbledore's ability to really break through all these different puzzles that Tom has put into place mm. and it it really shines through when when Dumbledore is talking about how crude it is mm-hmm. almost what somebody has to do in order just to get to this horcrux right somebody has to slice their hand open rub their blood up against the wall almost weaken themselves we don't know really if that has any effect at all on dumbledore i mean he heals himself seconds later so it's almost he does yeah so that that begs the question would the cut have had any effect on him we don't know what is on that wall, although Harry does the same thing upon their exit, and presumably he's fine. So yeah, it's I, I think I don't think Dumbledore has the answer to that. I think he just generally, I mean, he says to Harry, you, "Your blood is more valuable than mine," and I think that's not only a nice sentiment, but we we see how going back to book four, Dumbledore's gleam of triumph when Voldemort used Harry's blood to regenerate himself, and thereby in on one hand bypassing the blood protection that Lily left him, but on the other hand, weakening him, making him more like Harry, making the Horcrux, I guess, more vulnerable inside him. So I think Dumbledore is just kind of um making a judgment call that's like maybe that rock I, even though it wouldn't do it by DNA because that's science, not magic. But if that rock is t- keeping a register, kind of like signing a guest book of who's been there it would be better for Dumbledore to sign in and just let Harry like walk by than for Harry to sign in. Um, I guess. I think it's also just about maintaining Harry's strength. Like, yes, the cut can be healed, but if they cut, if Harry gets cut, he might feel a little weaker or may feel a little down for some reason. And then once he got into the cave, uh, you know, it could have affected his performance in helping Dumbledore. Mm. Also, I think the blood portion of entering the cave is also a test to see how serious you are about your reason to be there if micah is visiting the cave Mm -hmm. and he gets to a wall that says okay give me your blood unless he's searching for a horcrux he's probably not going to do that right he's just a tourist who wants to enjoy the cave he doesn't (laughs) want to cut himself to get in so Mm -hmm. i i think it's it's also just a a test to make sure that whoever's entering here is serious about their intentions. Yeah. And and I wonder too, much like the boat, is it measuring the power of the witch or wizard as opposed to the boat was about weight, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, by cutting your hand open and, and pressing your blood against this wall, right? It, is it taking into consideration whose blood it is? Like how much magical power exists within the person that is trying to enter this cave? Because a lot of the discussion later on gets into like Voldemort would wanted would would have wanted to make sure that the person who is getting in here was of equal, you know, value. Yeah. Almost. There's just one other thing I wanted to bring up because I thought it was just a, a really cool statement to make by J.K. Rowling when 
Harry is observing Dumbledore. He says he had never seen a wizard work things out like this simply by looking and touching, but Harry had long since learned that bangs and smoke were more often the marks of ineptitude than expertise. Yeah, and that's kind of a nice way of canonizing or formalizing things that have existed in the world but never were overtly stated. You know, beings like Mundungus Fletcher make a loud crack when disapparating, and that's not just mundungus that's he's sort of careless you know kind of so Mm -hmm. she's used attributes like the the noise that that these characters make when they disappear and reappear to define their character for years she's been doing this and so it's nice to get that kind of thing just set out and written in stone as it were Mm. it also makes me think about how in fantastic beasts we see all these nonverbal spells in the yeah. Harry Potter books and movies, they're all out loud. And then in Fantastic Beasts, it's just in these fight sequences, it's just all these fast-moving spells with no verbal introduction. Um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that when Dumbledore says Lumos. And I was like, he's doing that for Harry's benefit. <laughs> in this yeah. chapter, he's like, okay, let me show you what I'm doing, Lumos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's definitely something to be said for... Uh, this next level magic. That's what I'm going to keep referring to it as, because I feel like that is really at the center of this, of this chapter Mm -hmm. for as much as we hear spells, Eric, Mm -hmm. to your point, Lumos, that we've come to know. I think now it's about seeing how a wizard like Dumbledore is able to figure things out. Yeah. And uh, Laura even made a comparison when we're talking about ineptitude, to Lockhart, given the connections that we often see between Half-Blood Prince and Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Lockhart, a very grandiose guy, not just with his spell work, but also just with his presence amongst his fans. Everything is over the top. Mm-hmm. And here's Dumbledore saying, you you don't need any of that. Yeah. yeah. And the question can be raised too, where do you learn this magic, right? Because Hogwarts... You know, even if Harry had stayed for the seventh year, it's not like all of a sudden you learn how to touch and feel um, your way into the spell work. And the answer, although I know there was a, an Alohomora podcast episode I was on that heavily went into this, the answer seems to be independent study, mostly. Men like Voldemort, who left school, went off into the forest for several years and made all these modifications, um, come back more powerful than ever. And Dumbledore himself eventually, I think, traveled the world as well, in addition to just his knowing many more accomplished wizards like Nicholas Flamel, who he hung out with. Mm. So I think a lot of the answer does appear to be these this this level of magic, this next level, as you called it, Micah, seems to be discerned from the wizard himself. And it takes, as you also mentioned, meditation, I think, or, or something like that to really be able to achieve it or grasp it. Definitely. So when do we think that Voldemort last visited this cave? Does it have to be recent at all? Is there a reason to think he would visit with any regularity other than the check-in on his Horcrux? It's a good question. And perhaps we get a little bit of insight in Deathly Hallows. I can't recall, but I don't necessarily think it needs to be recent at all. It could have been when he last was here was when he created the Horcrux. He did have to come back to stock it with dead bodies. That is the one thing that I kind of, it's funny to picture all the infery being like marched into the, to the cave, you know, to where they can 
live there or whatever. I don't know if he apparated the corpses. Like it's a disturbing thought, but like how did all, all the people that he killed that are that are underneath the lake? Um, they're either the casualties of the first Wizarding War against Voldemort, so before he met Baby Harry, or they're much more recent. Like so, since since year four when he uh, got his body back and has been killing people willy nilly, has then begun stalking them in this cave. So they're either very recent, like the last two years, or they're like fifteen or sixteen or seventeen years ago. Mm. All right. Well, Dumbledore continues to teach Harry, even in these extreme circumstances. Once they are through this wall of uh, blood sacrifice, as we'll call it. Mm -hmm. And Harry comes up with this idea, this brilliant idea, to just say Accio Horcrux. Right. And Dumbledore is willing to let him do this. He, he feels perfectly content in this moment to let Harry just try it out. So he's being a teacher, even up until these last few chapters that... that We'll see him in. Yeah. Yeah. What there's no better way to learn than by having real world experience. And Eric was just talking about how Dumbledore is so skilled because he has had all this real world experience. I think again, with Dumbledore knowing that his days are numbered, um, mm. he needs to help Harry as much as possible. And just saying something to Harry won't resonate as much as letting him live and learn. Yeah. Um mm. that said as readers and fans, I think we all love Akio because of how convenient it is. <laughs> I seriously sit in my house sometimes and I'm just like, I wish I could Akio the remote or my phone right now. Like, this is just a, a spell that we as kids and I don't know, maybe even adults too, wish they could be using because it just solves a lot of problems. And look, Harry has also Akioed things from distances and has had successful results. Thinking back to Goblet of Fire, Akioing his broom to fight the dragon. It can work. Yeah. But would Tom Riddle let it work in this situation? Of course not. Yeah, but it's, it is a very important lesson, though. And, and However, sometimes the, the, the simplest of solutions are the best ones, mm -hmm. right? They, they, they end up working out. But in this case, to the point that Andrew was just making... This is Tom Riddle. This is Voldemort. And it would not be that easy because presumably whomever was, was coming through this cave would have at least some sort of idea of what they were after. They're not just going to happen upon this place. They're, they're here to look for the Horcrux. Mm -hmm. And Tom is not going to just let somebody Accio it, you know, right into their hands not gonna happen yeah mm -hmm. but i love laura it was i assume this is laura's point here where she brings it back to chapter 21 mm -hmm. yeah she talks about how snape berates harry for giving that simple answer ghosts are transparent snape kind of criticizes harry's more direct approach but harry defends himself by saying well in the wild that's what you encounter you know if you have to tell the difference between a reanimated corpse and a ghost that's what you're going to do. And so it also speaks to the difference in uh, Snape versus Dumbledore's teaching styles. Yeah. Yeah, I think throughout this chapter, um, Dumbledore is kind of teaching directly, but also showing Harry what kind of a wizard he needs to be in order to defeat, defeat Voldemort. Mm -hmm. um, you know, through these 
unspoken spells, but also through just like trying things and like thinking critically and taking into consideration this is like kind of the last lesson that Dumbledore teaches Harry. It's quite important. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Well, Dumbledore continues to use his abilities to get this boat that's submerged beneath the glassy lake surface. And Laura notes that we know Tom has a flair for the dramatic, but this really makes it seem like he's leaving the door open for someone to find his horcruxes. (laughs) Is this just arrogance or is it Tom's desire to prove that no one could overcome his brand of magical prowess? (laughs) I'm just going to read her notes from now on. (laughs) Sounds so much better than... Well, is i maybe maybe tom just wanted to have a little fun because as dumbledore and harry notes this is too easy this is too simple what's going to happen when we ride in this boat um Hmm. i think tom riddle could be having some fun with that spooking people who are like oh okay well i can take a boat but hmm, what's going to happen when i actually do that yeah I, i mean the potion is apart from the army of the dead and the blood sacrifice and the invisible boat that you have to know it's there and then you have to reach out to grab it the potion is really the trump card here like anyone mm. who can survive the the potion is i mean you've earned the horcrux and so everything else mm. is just window dressing um i think it's possible that we see voldemort come and check on this horcrux uh in the next book when he realizes that it's gone and he finally realizes what harry's up to he just flies over the surface of the lake so for me i'm thinking maybe voldemort couldn't fly when he first placed the horcrux here because in the books not the films but in the books no wizards can actually fly it's just voldemort and so maybe voldemort just needed a way to cross the lake yeah without Mm -hmm waking up the dead bodies (laughs) right (laughs) it could also be that simple but i also don't think that those bodies would attack him they might no i mean he could defeat them but you wouldn't want to damage your bodyguards right you wouldn't want to damage your security protocols i I think the boat is an elegant solution for for just voldemort to get across the lake i think in general but it also evokes greek imagery the river sticks um with i think it's charon is the grim reaper that guides you across the the lake of the dead or into the afterworld there's very much very like old greek vibes happening right now which i find to be very exciting Mm -hmm. so dumbledore addresses this question he says voldemort would have been reasonably confident that none but a very great wizard would have been able to find the boat but then that you know that begs the question why leave that possibility open at all still and there's this talk in this moment of the Inferi not coming to life as they use this boat. And we're just talking here about how, um, you know, maybe they wouldn't come to life if they thought it was Tom Riddle. I'm wondering, is it possible that since a part of Voldemort is inside Harry, that the magic within the cave is actually mistaking him for Voldemort? Ooh. I, this never gets answered, but I think it, it, it could be a valid reason. I like that. Yeah. Maybe the magic in the cave has to have a... Uh, you know, a certain threshold to cross before it assumes this is not Tom Riddle. I'm just thinking of this in like a high tech robotic way. And it just does not have the confidence that this isn't Tom Riddle. So it lets everything continue. Yeah. I I think this is the best question we've asked throughout chapter by chapter of Half-Blood Prince. Oh my God. I'm very flattered, Micah. No, because it's something that I never thought of 
before that it could possibly be registering the Horcrux inside of Harry as as being Voldemort, mm-hmm. at least for a period of time. Yeah, yeah, and and you you wonder if if Voldemort or sorry if Dumbledore has considered this as well, and could be why he was so okay with bringing Harry to the cave. Like, yes, he definitely wanted to teach Harry a few lessons, as we're discussing here, but also maybe he was considering that since he knew, right, that that there was a part of Voldemort inside of Harry, um, yeah. this would be an extra layer of protection to get what he needs. So he's, he's brought Harry as sort of a human shield. It's like, this is Pig my... for slaughter. Yeah, this yep. is my Voldy bits right here. Here, you know, hold him in front of me. I think it's more of a movieism than a bookism that Horcruxes are even aware of other Horcruxes. But I like this question because it is unanswerable within canon. Mm. Um, so I like that. What do you think, Natalie? I agree. It is so interesting to think about this with hindsight um, because we know about Harry and him being, you know, but I don't know in terms of whether the bodies would have attacked Voldemort or not, just because I think that that magic is just separate from the overall um, magic that's happening with the boat. Mm. But yeah, I think this is a brilliant question. This is my one question for J.K. Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> After you Are You Okay? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are You Okay is the new default J.K. Rowling <laughs> question. I really want mm-hmm. her to answer that um, before all the others. But yeah, I, I definitely want to, I mean, I would ask J.K. Rowling too, like what this magic is really, or or what Dumbledore sees in the potion. That's still the number yeah. one thing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're about to talk about that. And we did touch on this earlier, but the whole idea of the boat carrying magical weight versus physical weight and that really if Hagrid got in the boat well for for a number of reasons that thing would have been like beneath the 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 lake in the cave very very quickly but if Hagrid were this amazingly powerful wizard like Dumbledore chances are he could have got in the boat and sailed across quite easily uh, one thing, though, that Dumbledore says about Harry, which I don't necessarily agree with, is that because he is underage, that Voldemort would not have considered him to be of any level of threat. But we're also talking about Harry here. It, this is not your average, you know, Dean Thomas or or Seamus Finnegan who's with Dumbledore. What do you have this against Harry. Dean Thomas and Seamus Finnegan, Micah? <laughs> What's that? What do you have against them? They're irrelevant. They suck compared to Harry. They're, yeah. they're not relevant in any way, shape, or form. Wow. But Voldemort <laughs> makes the same mistake with Creature. Or, well, that's. Uh, wait, I think I'm wrong. That is why. Well, that's why I think this point is made by Dumbledore, is because of what we learn later on about Regulus. Mm-hmm. However, I just don't think that it's right to consider that Harry would not have been of some higher level of value riding along with Dumbledore. I, I would almost say that there's so much magical ability within that boat that there should have been fireworks going off or something. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we we keep talking about how there's all these tests of magic within this cave. Why wouldn't mm. Tom be measuring magical skill versus age 
it i agree it doesn't make sense and i think dumbledore is wrong here it's just not fleshed out how the difference being an underage wizard and an adult wizard changes things it is relevant because that's why the seven potters scene exists in deathly hallows like the magical protection that's on all of privet drive the one reason voldemort doesn't just show up in summer and kill harry in his sleep is strictly because the magic is designed to work on the underage and so there is a big change between a an adult wizard and an underage wizard and it's kind of palpable. So I, I, I just I just take Dumbledore's word at, at face value here. And I say that Voldemort, with his arrogance, you know, really only counted on of age wizards somehow in mm-hmm. the way you describe or create the magic. It has something to do with that. And I and, you know, Harry's not that great of a wizard. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like he <gasps> is the worst at everything he does. Oh, to reiterate that. <sighs> wow. Well, I'm sure we could talk a lot about this and and I do think though there there is something to be said for the underestimation of a second riding in this boat and I think that's where creature comes into play in Deathly Hallows when we hear his story it's just Voldemort's really innate nature to to overlook those that he considers to be less than him whether that is a house elf or that's an underage wizard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh now we're on a boat we're making our way across the lake <laughs> we're on a boat <laughs> and uh harry is really starting to get freaked out by all of the bodies that are just kind of popping up out of the water but much like the beginning of this chapter dumbledore is very calm very relaxed And he says even to Harry that there's nothing to be feared from a body, Harry, any more than there is anything to be feared from the darkness. It is the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness, nothing more. Yeah, again here, Dumbledore knows he's going to die soon. He's feeling confident, I think, in that they are going to be able to accomplish this. So just overall, I think... He's in a good mood, (laughs) which is (laughs) weird to say, but I think he knows that they're going to be able to knock this out. They're going to be able to accomplish this task. So, you know, that said, I can't believe that Dumbledore is so comfortable with dead bodies. Like, I get skeeved out when I drive over a dead animal. Like, if the animal's already dead and I see it coming up on the road, I just feeling it underneath me, I get get the chills. I'm like, oh, God. I can't believe that just happened. Mm. Um, I would be Harry in this moment, absolutely. And it's kind of weird that Dumbledore doesn't feel the same way. Yet, I also understand it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I, and and Dumbledore accuses Voldemort of being afraid of the dark and being afraid of a body, which I think is is crucial only because that's how Voldemort ends up. Again, in the book, not the movie, but in the book, Voldemort leaves behind his corpse. He leaves behind his body, and that's all that Voldemort is reduced to. And so it's kind of prophetic in a way that Dumbledore says that bodies secretly creep Voldemort out um, because it's it's the it's the proof, the ultimate proof that you were merely a mortal person. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dumbledore or Voldemort. And again, this whole cave scene is an insight into Voldemort as much as it is Dumbledore, like you said. So I think that really. Voldemort has stuffed this cave with stuff that he himself would be afraid of in a way. Right. And it's even noted that he fears death and he fears darkness. And that's the whole reason why he's created Horcruxes in the first place. It's the whole reason why 
he wants to be immortal. And to your point, it ties all within the fabric of, of this chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we safely make it to the island in the middle of the lake. And there's this basin that looks very much like a pensive. And inside of it, although I don't really think we can see it right away, is a locket. Uh, but in order to get to that locket, there is this liquid that needs to be drunk. And now we get to the point where Dumbledore is trying to reinforce to Harry over and over and over again what he said to him prior to them departing for the cave, which is that basically Harry must do anything and everything that Dumbledore tells him to do. And if Harry was afraid earlier while they were crossing on the boat, he's terrified now. Because I think the thought of being in this situation with Dumbledore in a reduced state, or even worse, is about as bad as it can get. I think there's also the sense that this is the grand finale, so something bad is about to happen. And Dumbledore has been warning Harry, you know, you need to, you need to ignore whatever happens and just push through. And that's terrifying because Dumbledore is a father figure to him and he's about to watch Dumbledore be tortured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm also a little curious about... So Dumbledore, he realizes that this needs to be drunk. And Dumbledore says it can't be parted, scooped up, etc. It has to go through a mouth. So I'm wondering, this is like not important in the overall scheme of things, but what is the magic here that allows it to be scooped up in a goblet then drunk? but not parted. <laughs> like, how does it know that it's being yeah. drunk? Well, and, and furthermore, after you drink it, water that has been created by magic can't go in your mouth. It vanishes water that's any other water than the water from the lake gets disappeared because you've drunk this potion. Like, that is some amazing potion. Like, was Voldemort the Half-Blood Prince? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what this chapter is leading up to? Like, I'm just, because this potion is blowing my mind. Yeah. Well, it's somewhat ironic, though, isn't it, that a potion would be at the center of (laughs) this chapter, given that the book is all about the Half-Blood Prince? Fun fact, this scene, which, of course, is on the cover of the U.S. edition of Half-Blood Prince, was also our original album art. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, And this scene Mm -hmm. makes the majority of the book covers, I think, for Half-Blood Prince. Oftentimes, between the U.S. and the U.K., at least, you get totally different scenes. But uh, book six is the one where they converge. U.S. and U.K. are both Dumbledore in the flames and Harry in the pensive, or the the basin. Definitely. Um, But uh, but yeah, that's another one of these things that that Dumbledore is able to discern just by looking or prodding. Um, And I want to read the full thing because it's short. This potion cannot be penetrated, vanished, parted, scooped up, or siphoned away, nor can it be transfigured, charmed, or otherwise made to change its nature. He figures this out in 30 seconds. He's like secret, he's like trying those every single one of those things, transfiguration, charming, um, you know, all these other forms of magic just in front of Harry wordlessly. Mm. And again, Swan Song, it just shows how awesome Dumbledore is. And Harry and Voldemort also talk about, or sorry, Harry and Dumbledore also talk about is this potion going to kill? And Dumbledore says that Voldemort would not want to, quote, immediately kill the person who drinks it. And Dumbledore thinks it's because he would want, he, he, 
Voldemort would want to come and learn who was trying to get the Horcrux. But I'd also think it would have to do with Voldemort wanting to cause the person to die a slow and painful death if they were to actually die. Um, you know, wouldn't Voldemort perf- Voldemort prefer that instead of a quick death? That's no fun. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought that up because does it seem like the dead, the inferior, are going to like hold Harry above the water? They're trying to pull him in. So whoever breaks the the spell and gets the dead like they're gonna drown you so i what's this thing about voldemort wanting to meet the person who discovered his secret like the dead are presumably trying to kill harry and and dumbledore Mm -hmm. so i get confused about that Mm -hmm. and by the way on this point about how dumbledore understands or can figure out how to get through the cave Alyssa, who is listening live on Patreon right now, she says, I think Dumbledore knowing who Tom Riddle is fundamentally also assists him in sensing the magic throughout the cave. He's so attuned to what he believes Voldemort would do that he almost has a spidey sense regarding his surroundings. Yeah, he says flat out to Harry, I know Tom Riddle. I taught him. What we didn't know at the time when we read this or even until now was that he probably taught him defense against the dark arts (laughs) instead of transfiguration. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and to that point, it's even noted in this chapter how Dumbledore knew some of these things just based on the fact that he taught Tom. Just the familiarity aspect. Mm. Mm -hmm. So he gets drinking. Yep. It's party time. (laughs) It's it's Guinness time or Guinness, uh, what did we say earlier? (laughs) You said Guinnessburg. Yeah, Guinnessburg. (laughs) It's Gettysburg time. Yeah, so Dumbledore uh, starts drinking out of the uh, basin with the help of Harry. And he starts after a while to really lose his shit. And there's been a lot of discussion about what we think Dumbledore is seeing in this moment. There's, you know, and and it'd be interesting to go back to our earlier episodes really and, and see what we theorized in this moment we did not have any context for ariana uh, because we learned more about that in deathly hallows uh, so you know the the sort of the 2005 2006 version of this podcast probably had a lot of theories going around but when he's talking about it being all of his fault and you know just the the, the sheer torment that he's going through he mentions children and and you know what is it that Dumbledore is seeing in this moment? Yeah. So in regards to the children, it makes you think something to do with Hogwarts, but then it's all my fault. It makes you think Ariana. And I'm inclined to think that since JK Rowling does love to quietly thread different elements, the fact that we learn about Ariana in the next book would, would tell me that the, it's all my fault is in regards to her. He could potentially be having multiple thoughts here, not just one. Yeah, multiple visions, multiple... I don't know. I, I You tend to think of him as being like remembering childhood too because he kind of sounds like a child in many of these cases. Like I had forgotten, um, but the exact quotes are like, no, 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 I can't, I can't, don't make me, I don't want to. And please, 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 no, not that, not that, I'll do anything. Um, so it's kind of it feels like a child is being chastised and made to like wash their mouth out with soap or go to their room or something. And like, 
it's terrifying to see this great wizard who we spent half the chapter going, how does he know how to do this now begging for death? And exactly. It's terrifying. Exactly. And that's what's make, that's what makes it so hard to watch. And for Harry too, he's never had to deal with something like this for an adult teacher. Oh, and the mental anguish of having to say, uh, professor, this will end it drink. You know, this is good for you when he knows full well that it's not good for Dumbledore is a good character moment on Harry's part. Um, he's sort oh, of finally you give him some credit now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Harry, I guess is pretty good at being like improvising in the moment and being like, okay, Dumbledore, this is good. But this is so, it's so sad in particular because as you say, like Harry has never had to deal with this with, you know, an adult professor, but also Dumbledore is a person that he's kind of looked up to through his whole time at Hogwarts and he has this image of Dumbledore as being the most powerful wizard. Um, and I was talking about this with my friend last night and she was saying it's it's so sad because it's almost like, you know, when your grandparents become quite old and then you have to take care of them and they come almost like revert back to being a child and how like difficult it would be for Harry in this moment as someone who's supposed to be guiding him to be going through this and the roles kind of being reversed and Harry having to like soothe Dumbledore and tell him that it'll be over. It's like quite, um, it's quite a difficult, difficult and like anguishing situation. Yeah. That's yeah. a really great comparison. And one other thing just to note here that, that Laura brings up is that we know from Deathly Hallows chapter 10 that, Voldemort tested this potion out on Creature initially, uh, and, and Regulus actually volunteered him for the task. And so it speaks a lot to why Creature became even more demented in a way than mm-hmm. he maybe initially was. Yeah. And we learned that Creature, in fact, went back with Regulus when Regulus did the locket swap and he had to watch as his master drank the potion and was carried off into the uh the water there and i wonder th- there was never an actual connection made but it's clear that regulus is he's there somewhere mm, oh yeah. god mvp <laughs> of the week regulus <laughs> With, without knowing it who he's the one that's floating just inches below the surface and harry sees his face and it's like hmm, that guy looks familiar serious um, yeah how creepy would that yeah. have been if he was looking down into the water and or one of the inferi that come out of the water looks similarly to a a black family member we we saw earlier on in yeah. the series super creepy i just I, I do wonder and this will be a book seven reread question but uh why this doesn't turn creature fully away from the dark seeing his master killed by essentially by Voldemort because the blacks were so in Voldemort, like supporting his, you know, reign and all this other stuff. And uh, Mm -hmm. seeing what it was really like to be firsthand in that you'd be disenchanted. You'd think that creature would be disenchanted the same way Regulus was, but perhaps he didn't have time to explain. Well, also we should remember that creature was living with a Horcrux for a period of time as well. So who knows what that did to him. Mm-hmm. on top of having drunk the potion all those years earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. And Laura wants to remind everyone that uh, that Slughorn isn't the only one that likes to poison test taste house elves. <laughs> well, Slughorn is in good company, With I guess. Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, probably not the best point to bring up, Laura, but okay. Yeah, both. They're both Slytherins. Both Slytherins, yeah. Um, Natalie, what do you have to say for yourself? Oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> J.K. Rowling is baring her fangs. This is not quite the whole every single Slytherin stays in the and gets put to the dungeons kind of thing, but it's pretty bad that the these two Slytherins have taste tested poison mm. on house elves. Mm-hmm. I can say I have I have not done that, so it's uh, not not everyone. Oh, yeah. good. Okay, okay. <laughs> so naturally, uh, Dumbledore needs some water. He needs some refreshments after having uh, drank this nasty-ass potion. <laughs> and Harry tries, as he might, to summon water. He's like, oh, I know this realizes, I know this one. <laughs> yeah, he's got to go down to the lake, dip the cup in, and get some water from there. Now, by the way, would you really want to drink this water? Like, Let's talk about this no! for a second. <laughs> there, there's thousands of dead bodies that are floating in this water. It's probably salt water too on top of it because i don't think fresh water is coming in from uh anywhere mm. this is uh this is pretty gross water like what why Correct. would dumbledore even want to why would harry think that dumbledore would even want to drink this? he has no choice well look it's better than nothing even though it's still pretty bad i feel like this would just put him in worse health if you're drinking water that includes dead bodies stewing in it i just no, that can't be healthy. Maybe Harry should have tried Akio Dasani. <laughs> Akio Gatorade. From the nearest village. Like that's... Maybe maybe Tom has a, a little mini fridge of Gatorade sitting in the back of the cave for this exact situation. I mean, the potion is deliberately meant to dehydrate you so that you ask for water, so that you break the surface of the lake, so that the dead come and get you. That's it's specifically designed to function exactly the way that it does. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised at all. But what I what does surprise me is that the water Dumbledore drinks does seem to clear his mind a little. Like, even though he only gets one goblet in his mouth and he's just drank 10 goblets of the poison, Dumbledore has a clear enough mind to be able to do everything he's. So the water really does help, even though it's gross, stagnant decomposition water i liken it to when you're feeling ill and then you throw up and you feel so good afterwards i feel like that's what's happening here uh dumbledore the worst part part is over for dumbledore and now he can refocus and maybe he just gets motivated by the fact that it's done they have it they have the horcrux so while harry is being attacked by the inferi dumbledore does this spell which did we ever learn exactly what the name of it was it's it's not fiend fire because fiend fire gets out of control it seems to have the same kind of liquid quality to it in fire but it's just something that i think we've only really seen in the movies like Mm -hmm. yeah well i'm thinking of the the uk half-blood prince cover we see it there as well it looks like a big old circular lasso fire there i think yeah and i don't think it's coincidental that you know dumbledore mentions earlier on in the chapter that fire will work against uh, these types of creatures but fire is also representative of life and Mm -hmm. the fact that it would you know hold off the inferi who are 
essentially zombies. Um, yeah. I don't think that's, that's coincidental life versus death. So. And, and just think um, of uh, crimes of Grindelwald, what Grindelwald does with the flames. There's probably a lot more flame related magic that we've yet to learn about, like how it works. I think that's safe to say, like we're going to see that again because Grindelwald is extremely good at it. And Dumbledore historically has been as well. So I would fully expect to see more flame wielding. Maybe we will learn like what it is somehow Mm -hmm. in future films. Yeah. Well, that's why I was asking if people understood what he said in, in the sixth film, because he actually says something and then, you know, the flames sort of erupt, but maybe it's just a ring of fire. Maybe that's all he says. And it just, (laughs) he starts playing the song. This is the song that should have been in the movie. Love is a burning thing. <laughs> My love for Harry is a and burning makes thing. A fiery ring. Yeah. <laughs> Bound by wild desire. Yeah. The TV show will include that song. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So Harry and uh, Dumbledore make it out of the cave. Harry has to use his own blood for them to get out um, back through the wall. Dumbledore seems less concerned with that fact this time around. And so to Eric, your point, maybe it was just that uh, he didn't want Harry to be injured or weakened in any way. Mm. Uh, But also wonder though, uh, you know, does it play into the whole Harry has a Horcrux inside of him? And so potentially could through some means, you know, it have it, it, Voldemort have found out that Harry was there. Well, he doesn't for he doesn't for another year. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I'm going to say probably not. Okay. Just because the the Horcruxes don't talk to each other. Like Harry's connection to Voldemort, where he can see into his mind and stuff, is the only connection in the books that I can think of of the Horcruxes having anything to do with one another. Um, interact. So uh, unless like uh, Voldemort gets no indication that anybody that the security of the cave has even been breached, you know, none of those in Fury are able to pick up cell phones and call him and let him know, hey, your your boy was here. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. You would you would think this is something that Tom would have wanted to do, though, create these trip systems so he could be aware yeah. when mm-hmm. one of these horcruxes was captured or destroyed that that seems like a no-brainer yeah you're right i've i've always been that's the one thing about the books that's always puzzled me is that voldemort has never felt the effects of the horcruxes being destroyed whereas he very much feels that effect in the movies. And I think Eric, you mentioned on a previous episode where it's something that works for the books and works for the movies. Yeah. Yeah. But these are still parts of him in a way. Yeah. But they don't destroy the Horcrux now. Like the Horcrux is perfectly intact, which may also be why Voldemort Mm -hmm. isn't, um, you know, they, they took a fake locket. No, but like that's, that's why he's not notified really is that they had nothing to do with, killing Voldemort here unfortunately but the ring has been destroyed recently yeah the ring's been destroyed I think the reason I think it and I say it works for the books is because Dumbledore makes the case quite clear that 
once you separate your soul, you're just, I mean, it will keep you alive or whatever. Um, but it's separate. It's completely a different entity entirely. It can act on its own. It can think on its own. And so it would be as if you knew what somebody at the other end of the world was doing. Um, like if we could predict right now what Natalie's neighbor is up to, like we just, you know, that's the difference is we, we have no clue. I, weird. Yeah. I also think it's a bit of arrogance though. I think arrogance plays a huge part into it because yeah. he doesn't think that anybody is going to be able to figure out his secret, much less if they do destroy any of these Horcruxes. Like the, the, the diary was destroyed by accident. It wasn't, it, it wasn't intentional. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that brings me to my point of none of the other Horcruxes have the same level of protection against them. We don't know exactly what the ring in the old shack of the the Gaunts, how, what those protections were. I imagine they were actually quite similar or something, like even though it's just a shack and not this elaborate cave system uh, and a fissure in the rock face. But um, Voldemort relied on the power of Gringotts to protect the cup. Uh, in Bellatrix's vault and Voldemort relied on the power of Hogwarts in general to protect the, the diadem, um, which is kind of, I think in its, in its own way, careless, but he's not necessarily wrong. It's just that the, the locket has the unique um, distinction of being, you know, all these protections are devised specifically by Voldemort. And this is what he comes up with. Yeah. Well, and I do think it, it, it could have something to do with, what each of those items meant to him, right? It this is a locket that was Slytherin's and was, you know, for a period of time with his mother. Mm -hmm. And maybe the value that he placed on that was higher than anything else. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day moms. True. <laughs> but information about Voldemort would uh certainly suggest otherwise. So yeah. So we get back into the water. We do our perfect breaststroke back to the <laughs> rock that we landed on. That is on. not noted in this part. I bet it wasn't a perfect breaststroke. A less than perfect breaststroke. <laughs> I would take that boat out. Just take the boat. Oh, yeah. yeah steal the boat. I don't, why steal did it. they just apparate when they got through the wall? Like, uh, why swim back out to the rock? It doesn't. I, mean, I think you whatever. probably can't. Maybe he wanted to burn some more calories. He hadn't hit his move goal for the day. <laughs> the ring of fire didn't do it, so. <laughs> All right. So we're, and that's it. we're headed back to Hogwarts. We've made it uh, through the cave, and uh, we'll see what happens once we get back to, uh, to Hogwarts. Oh, I don't. Did you mention the I am not worried, Harry? I'm with oh, you line? Yes, that's, the, uh, one the, of the most jerker moment of the series. Yeah, it's one of the most iconic lines in the series, I think. Dumbledore... As we've seen hints of earlier in the in this book, Dumbledore really trusts Harry now, and this was a beautiful bonding moment for them. This entire chapter was, and Dumbledore's ready. I am so excited for the next chapter because it is the chapter, uh, you know, that I designed my ride for Universal around <laughs> the lightning struck tower. This is this. I've been waiting for this moment. What perfect timing. Which Universal is about to open a ride and I get to repitch my ride. I, some of you listeners, you're newer. 
You may not have heard this yet, so you just wait for next week. You're going to have to add a few extra words for it to cut it up to speed with all the other rides they got going at Universal. Andrew. Oh, yeah. Good idea. We'll come up with some new ride names. <laughs> but, but um, uh, speaking of, I don't know if we're going to connect all the threads that are in the document because we do have quite a few. But uh, just as internal um, correlation here, Dumbledore's line, I'm not worried, Harry, I am with you, is a complete reflection on the earlier chapter, chapter four, when they go to meet Horace Slughorn and Dumbledore says to Harry, oh, yeah, I do not think you need to worry about being attacked tonight. And Harry says, why not, sir? And Dumbledore says, you are with me. Mm. So that is cool. Mm-hmm. A nice flippy flip. We should go through these threads just real quick. We don't yeah. have to discuss all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laura took the time to uh, come up with them. So we should definitely skip over them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so the final scenes of both Chamber of Secrets and Half-Blood Prince uh, take place in watery underground layers of Voldemort's. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Harry is unknowingly dealing with a Horcrux in Chamber of Secrets and knowingly searching for one here in Half-Blood Prince. Mm-hmm. Harry is accompanied by a powerful member of Hogwarts faculty in Half-Blood Prince, which leads him to recognize the power of magic when practiced with more nuance, in direct contrast to Lockhart's screwy magic at this point in Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they're accompanied into the chamber by Lockhart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry uses Expelliarmus to stop Lockhart from wiping his and Ron's memories. Who taught Harry Expelliarmus? Snape. Harry uses Sectum Sempra against the Inferi in this chapter of Half-Blood Prince. Though it doesn't work well in this case, he's unknowingly using another spell Snape taught him. Mm-hmm. Great point. And in both cases, there's a special requirement to get in. For Chamber of Secrets, it's Parcel Tongue. And for Half-Blood Prince, it's blood. That escalated Ooh. quickly. <laughs> So we're going to do a new game now. This was Eric's idea. Design your own Horcrux hideout. Since we just explored a Horcrux hideout, where would it be and how would you get access? So I'm taking a more serious approach here. Um, We, of course, have spoken about how Tom Riddle hid his Horcruxes in places that are important to him, that are rooted in his history, for me, I would probably hide one of my Horcruxes, and I, you know, will remind everybody I'm the only one on this panel who would be willing to create a Horcrux. Nobody else wanted to do this, but I'm happy to do it because I think, uh, you know, I'd like to have a backup plan. I would hide mine in my old family home backyard, and I say this because as a kid I used to camp out there a lot, so it's got that, you know, historical connection for me, and. You would need to sleep overnight on the ground to access the Horcrux, and the Horcrux would like pop out of a tree or pop out of the ground or something. Because I would always do that, um, and I enjoyed sleeping in the backyard as a kid as a little camp activity. Aww. Mm-hmm. I would go, uh, well, why am I even telling you all this? Because that defeats <laughs> the purpose. <laughs> Uh, I would probably do it somewhere deep beneath the Egyptian pyramids. Uh-huh. What you what would, connection do you have to the Egyptian pyramids? Um, descendant. Oh. Of, uh, one of the, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good location because we would never guess that, that, that that's where you would hide it. Yeah, ex- exactly. 
Presumably, uh, there are booby traps and other protections placed there because the Egyptians were protecting other stuff down there. Exactly. You'd have to get past the Sphinx. There'd be a riddle. There'd be <laughs> all types of, uh, you know, different puzzles to solve and mazes to get through, and it would be quite the uh, the task. Though I will say. Why not uh, just go over to uh, the Harry Potter collector's house and hide it within the pages of one of those books? You'd never find it. (laughs) Micah, I would make it my life's mission to find your Horcrux because all I have ever wanted to do is kill you. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Talking about escalating. (laughs) How's that for a social media clip for the show, Jewel? (laughs) <laughs> oh my god natalie what would be yours so my horcrux would be in an enchanted poison garden just a garden rife with poisonous plants and so as the person is going through and trying to get my horcrux they're being grazed by these plants and slowly dying just like never <laughs> get there oh slithering so so would you actually die before you ever got there well, this is there's a, another contingency plan that if the person doesn't die and they get to the Horcrux, it's buried underground in the poisonous soil, and they have to like dig it out with their bare hands. Can't accio it. Oh, oh. I see. So they Hopefully... could try to kill me, but like they would also die at some point. So you know. Mm-hmm. And Eric, what's your idea? So I kind of went a little bit English majory on people here um, just for fun. I was trying to think of what the most difficult tests I have faced, like in my life, have uh, kind of been comprised of. And I know as an adult that it's difficult to get another human being to read something, anything, literally anything to follow directions and reading instructions are some of the most difficult Things. So the hardest test I ever had was in middle school. And I want to know if you guys had this too. If your teacher ever handed out one of those worksheets where question number one was, or step one was read everything before doing anything. Do you guys ever have one of these? Hmm. I'd if put I an did, I forget in, it. Yeah, I put an example in the document. So there's 22 or so steps uh, to the to the quiz it's basically a worksheet i think a substitute handed out during like a, a slow day or something and step one is read everything before doing anything then you have all these other crazy things like circle around each square sign your t- your name on like you know things do math all this other stuff and then when you get to the end the final step is now that you've finished reading everything just do sentences one and two and put your head down at your mm. desk and it's the end so my horcrux thing would be basically one of these where it says read everything carefully before doing anything and then when you and it, it would be feats of of tremendous strength and all this other stuff to distract people so they'd ideally just be fully distracted uh but the real way to get the horcrux would be to read to listen and there would be just like the horcrux is under the rug or behind the portrait of uh gara follows allegory of love or something you know it would just be a thing and it would be there in the room but nobody following directions uh nobody because nobody follows directions nobody would ever get it i see interesting interesting okay now let's rename the chapter mine is half blood harry potter and the half blood prince chapter 26 with you 
Mm. Oh, oh. Touching. Yeah, thank you. Mine, uh, I think Micah may have stolen my thunder here, but uh, I named the chapter Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, chapter 26. We're on a boat. Oh, I got you. Because I, I said we're, we're on a boat, on a boat. earlier. Is that why? Yeah, got you. But I no keep worries. thinking of the Lonely Island song. I think it goes, I'm on a boat. Curse word, curse word. You don't know me like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, uh, I went with uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 26, Last Action Hero. Love it. Great oh, movie. Nice. Since it's the last time we will see our hero in action. Get it? Ah. Uh, well, our old hero. Yeah. We still got Natalie. the one. Mine is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 26, Pain and Power. Oh, I like that. It's sexy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> MVP of the week, me. For for me, it's Dumbledore, obviously. I was the first person to write my contribution here, so I got the good one. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give mine sort of jokingly to the Inferi, the Inferi, um, because we don't, uh, again, we don't know exactly when they arrived there, but I just say they have tremendous patience. Mm-hmm. They, they, they waited for years for somebody to break the surface of the lake just so they could go and say hi. So good big, for that. Big, big MVP to the inferior. Yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons, I went with Voldemort. Whoa. Inappropriate. Yeah. Obvious reasons, Micah. Yeah. Cruel reasons. You mean? Yeah. You can, you can be MVP for bad reasons he does severely limit and and hobble dumbledore so yeah good for him and uh my mvp of the week harry and i write here for the sheer emotional distress and also he's just a teenager yeah he went through a lot that's a good point brava harry brava i will never not be shook by harry having to feed dumbledore that liquid yeah. It's just so sad and rough. Okay, so that's chapter 26. If you have any feedback, send it in, mugglecast.gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. To wrap things up today, let's play some Quizitch. Yes, last week's question, what is the first spell that Harry casts at the Inferi? And uh, he casts a number of spells, things like Septum Sempra, which don't actually work because they have no blood to spill. Um Speaking of spilling blood, the first spell is actually Petrificus Totalis. Mm. He full body binds a dead body, and I guess it works. So good for Harry. The correct answer was submitted to us over on Twitter using hashtag Quizich. It was submitted by Issy M, A Man Has No Name, Juliana C, Sarah D, Tara, Fluffy McNutters, Rebecca P, Sam Wise Potter, Jason King, Justice for Albus. Agreed. At Quiz Justice on Twitter. And Marlena. Um, congratulations to everyone who, mm. who played and well submitted. Done. Yeah. This week's question is uh, sorry, guys. It's another pre spoiler uh, for the next chapter, but we're all assuming you've Snape. read at least. Damn it. <laughs> all right. I have to come up with a new How far does Dumbledore question? fall in kilometers? <laughs> Actually, we're going to find that out on the ride details of next week's Universal ride, right? Andrew? Yeah, I'm developing that. I want to make sure everybody gets hit hard when they fall. So but I don't want them to die. So just yeah. trying to figure out the math there. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next week's question, anyway, uh, is um, which Death Eater, <laughs> which Death Eater refers to Dumbledore as Dumby? 
in the next chapter. That's me. I call Dumbledore Dumby. We all call Dumbledore Dumby. It's kind of cute. Voldy, Dumby. Mm-hmm. Kind of, mm. you know, short. I wonder if Petrificus Totalis being the first spell Harry tries is kind of a throwback to the fact that that was in the first book. I'm just you know? surprised it wasn't Expelliarmus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a little too obvious yeah. for the reader. All right. So you can send those in via Twitter, and uh, we will also be playing that game over on Instagram. You can follow us on social media with the username MuggleCast, all three places, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We would love if you followed us, and you will get, you will stay abreast. A perfect breast? Like perfect You will stay, yeah, perfect abreast stroke of the latest MuggleCast and Harry Potter news that is happening. Uh, Natalie, thanks for joining us today. It's great having you on. Thank you for making my teenage dreams come true. Making my teenage dreams come true. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh. We appreciate your support at patreon.com slash mugglecast. And uh, if you listening haven't pledged yet, we would really appreciate your support. It helps keep this show going. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Natalie. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.